Hi and welcome to Authorise, the podcast where writers speak. My name's Kevin Hillier and I speak to those writers and today I will introduce you to another very talented uh, Australian writer. The uh, the length and breadth of uh, writing talent in this country uh, never ceases to amaze me and uh, we come up with some Terrific authors, some great books, and uh, another one to present to you today, which we'll get to our author very shortly. But a reminder about our podcast partners, uh, it is CSCG. They're the people to talk to about your finances, and uh, that's an area uh, that is changing all the time. Uh, Compliance issues are changing all the time in business and in our uh, personal uh, taxation uh, areas as well as superannuation, and they're across all those things. And they'll help you out uh, any way they possibly can to make sure that you get the best out of your financial situation. So give them a call and have a chat. Chat, double nine seven four eight triple three, or jump on the website and you'll find out the people you're dealing with and uh, the services they have to offer, cscg.com.au. They are terrific people to deal with and we thank them very much for their support of the Authorised Podcast Series. Today, you're meeting Aoife Clifford and we're talking to Aoife about her third book, which is called When We Fall. Uh, it's been described as unputdownable crime. Not sure that that was a word until I read it uh, about uh, Aoife's book, but it is uh, certainly a a very good book, a terrific read, and one that I'm sure you're going to enjoy on a a lot of different levels. And we'll talk to Aoife about uh, some of those levels uh, in this chat that uh, that we're going to have with her about this book, When We Fall. As I said, her third book, it's uh, once again a terrific crime novel, and I'm sure you'll enjoy the book, and I'm sure you'll enjoy this chat with Aoife Clifford. Lovely to speak with you, and congratulations uh, on your books. Oh, thank you. Uh, the latest one, obviously, it's always very exciting when you get the newest the newest cab off the rank. Absolutely, and it just got launched today, so I've done some pre-launch interviews, but you're my first when it's out in the world, so okay. it's lovely to talk to you. It's lovely to speak with you too. Writing a book in a pandemic, uh, I mean, you, you mentioned it in your, in your notes in the book, but uh, it obviously presented some new and different challenges. Ah, oh, absolutely it does. It can feel very isolating, but then writing can be a bit, like that as well. So at the start, I have to say, if we go all the way back, it feels a very long time ago now, yeah. to the very start of it, it felt like, oh my God, how am I going to ever write again? I was actually doing a Zoom with some Year 9 English students and the teacher kind of tried to encourage the kids who were looking at me all very dofully, sort of said, um, Julie, this is like the best thing in the world. You can't do anything other than write. And uh, I had to go, oh, you're kidding me. Like, I've got three <laughs> kids at home homeschooling. I've got a husband trying to run a business for a, my bedroom. I was like, no, this is a disaster. But then I walked away from that and thought, you've got to pull yourself together and start writing. And so I did. <laughs> do you immerse yourself in your own little bubble when you write or how, how, do, you, how do you go about it? Oh, look, I'd love to immerse myself in my own little bubble to write. That'd be my dream. But I guess but perhaps it isn't because I guess we were in a bubble and I didn't enjoy that as much as I thought I would. But, I mean, I have a job. I have three kids. I have a lot going on in my life as well. So it has to fit in with that. What's lovely is you can be much more efficient, I think. There was a time when I was writing full-time I don't know if I was as efficient. I don't think I'll ever be as efficient as I was with writing when I had all three kids at home when they were babies, actually, because then every five minutes or whatever you had, you made it count. There was no stuffing around. So um, I try and remember that efficiency these days as I kind of juggle all my bits and pieces. But I I think I enjoy that. Was that like your little treasure, your little moment of escapism that you were able to go and do something, this is just for me? Absolutely. It was my hundred year. That just sums it up perfectly, actually, because it was, um, it really was like 
because you sort of, especially like I was at home, I started running when there was two of them. I had another one after that. And you do kind of get a little bit lost in the you're my mum role. And so it really was kind of a bit reclaiming your old separate self to kind of have this little world where, um, and also, I mean, your characters do what they're told and they don't ask, <laughs> you know, ask you to tidy up after them or make them lunch or whatever. And so, I mean, and I especially enjoyed that, I have to say, during the pandemic because, of course, your book is the world that you control. And in a, when we were increasingly in a world where we couldn't control, that was a that was a fantastic escape. You know, no one dies in my books unless I decide they die. And that's kind of a great power to have. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that when um, – you know, in the troubled world that we have and yeah. continues to be. Yeah, no, it's a lovely escape. So reading is a beautiful escape and writing is too. <laughs> when did uh, when did When We Fall uh, crystallise in your head? Well, I'm probably one of those people who I don't I don't work like that. What, how I usually begin a book is I have kind of three different or two different competing ideas and I kind of shove them together and I just look at the chemistry that those competing ideas might have. So, um, we'll take this one, for example, um, this book, um, and it can be the most unlikely thing as well. So, the, the most unlikely bit of this was um, I work as a part-time bookseller and I was in the bookshop one day when a customer came in and they were a customer that wasn't necessarily a huge book reader, but because their passion was fashion. I'm not particularly into fashion, but I love hearing about other people's passions and interests. Mm. And so, she was in looking for a particular book on fashion about um, a fashion designer. And so we started talking and she was sort of explaining to me her interest. And then she started talking about this one dress that she loved. And um, I was listening quite, you know, happily because it's always great when you're hearing someone who's talking about something important to them. And this one dress was from 15 years ago and she'd walked past it in a shop in Melbourne. And I also knew that shop. And so she was describing it to me and saying, you know, I even went and got the magazine cutting of that dress. I've kept it with me. I've moved three times since then. It's 15 years ago. And every time I look at it and go, should I really be keeping this cutting? Why am I keeping this cutting of this dress? But she goes, it really speaks to me. And I just really wonder what happened to that dress. And as I was listening, I was amazed because the dress she described was my wedding dress. Oh, wow. And um, I I brought in a picture for her to see. And sure enough, it's the same wedding dress. And I was so struck by her interest that the world that she really loved was a visual world, whereas the world I really love is a words world. You know, I write books, I work as a bookseller. Before that, I, you know, studied a law degree. So a very word world for me. And so I sort of solved her mystery of what had happened to the dress that she loved. But she kind of put that idea in my head that what would you be like if you were a words person and you sort of confronted with a world that something terrible has happened but all the clues are visual and you don't really know how to interpret them. And so I thought that would be such a fun idea to play with. And so that was one of the starting points for this book. And you play play with it, you do, because it's not just a picture painting a thousand words. There's all sorts of visual images that you use in this book to move the plot along. Absolutely. I Yeah. What tends to happen with me is when I love something – I really can go to town on it. So in this one, it was every, I thought of all the visual things that I could think about. Um, it's got tattoos in it. It's got drawings. It's got photos. It's got a big old master painting in it that means something. And even kind of the architecture of buildings um, as well. So um, I really loved 
playing with that idea. So did that grow enormous legs for you as you were going along writing this book? Did that become uh, something that, that, that you didn't see at the start that became such an integral part of it? Absolutely. I'm yeah. someone who, yeah, I don't plot beforehand. So I kind of, I sort of describe my first draft as really, that's just a really long plotting exercise that takes months for me. But yeah, no, exactly. I love having those little seeds and then, and sometimes you do it subconsciously and then when you get to the end of the draft, you realize that you've got all these references to it because you've got these kind of ideas in your head and you're making different connections with them. And then sometimes in writing, you kind of are subconsciously making connections that you only realize in retrospect that you did. So for me, the first draft can be very messy and a bit cumbersome because I haven't potted it out before, but it's also kind of a bit of a voyage of discovery. So I really love, um, I mean, I guess I don't know how it ends when I start. Yeah. And so for me, a bit, you can sort of a little bit be like a reader in that you're discovering what's happening at the same time. So sometimes that means you have to go back and rewrite a lot. And I am someone who does quite a few drafts. But that first one is kind of you're on a voyage and you really don't know where you're going to end. So I, I love that. That, that is uh, impetus to keep on going. You mentioned you were you studied law. Is that is that been a, I mean, it's been the, the couple of books that you've sort of this one. You talk about truth. Uh, you talked about justice in others. Uh, is that mm. is that is that a really integral part of of what you put together as well? Yes, it is. And I realised that um, what interests me in writing probably what is what interested me to study law in the first place. For example, when you study law, you do you read a lot of cases. And um, generally what they are is you've got the head notes at the start that are the facts and that probably goes for three or four sentences and then you've got the 25 pages of the judgment afterwards. And I was always the person who was fascinated by the little backstory at the start rather than uh, all the judgment that came afterwards. And so it was those sort of little stories and in fact, um, each of my characters so far has been at different stages of a law career. So my first book, they were a student, a law student. And then in this one, um, she's a barrister, but her career isn't necessarily going that well, which mm. happens a lot when you're a barrister is that it's a very up and down career. You can go from being frantically busy to kind of the cases wrap up and you've got no work. And that's not something – I wanted to play with that because that's not something that's people's perceptions of being a barrister, whereas that's something that you do have to navigate um, and all barristers do. So I'm always interested in kind of shining a light on the different ideas of law. Often people think it's the courtroom drama kind of side of it. Yeah. But um, in this case, for example, the barrister that's in, uh, that the main character, it, um, all of it is before anywhere, before even charges are laid, because all of those things make such a difference to the court cases to come. It's all the things that happen outside the courtroom are equally as important. And yet, as a whole, we tend to just focus on the courtroom. So I'm always interested in kind of showing just little bit, little different bits of how the law actually works in practice. When you, uh, when you, and, uh, and this is not a spoiler alert by any stretch of the imagination, but when you start a book with a severed leg, you know that it's going to be that there, there, there's you immediately pique people's interest with that. I, I thought that was a really, really brilliant start to this book. Oh, lovely! That's great to hear. It's always it starts are always interesting about where you start a story and. Um, that bit actually was one of the bits that I came quite early. I didn't want to do just a body. I thought I wanted to do something a little bit different, and it's a severed leg with going back to visual images with a tattoo, and the tattoo is the crucial part. 
So yes, oh good. I'm glad. I'm glad it got engaged from the start. Oh, absolutely, because you you want to find out where the rest of it is. <laughs> just, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, the mystery begins. <laughs> now, when you flip through the book, if someone's standing in a in a you know in a bookshop and they they pick up When We Fall and they they sort of flipping through the pages, they'll see uh, an image of a of a black feather um, on mm. on not on every page, but on some pages. Mm. So how would how would you explain that to someone who if you were in if you were in your little bookshop uh, as as a bookseller yep. which you do and they go how come there's there's like a on page 155 there's a feather but there isn't a feather on a page 130 how does that work? Well, what we did was we, it was uh, an idea that came quite late because black feathers are a bit of a motif throughout the whole book. Yep, and so. Um, Usually in books you'll see, and sometimes it's a little dot or a little star that um, will give you a hint that there's a jump in the narrative, a little jump in the narrative. And I came up with the idea, seeing we talked about black feathers so much, that if we could just make it a little black feather, that'd be awesome. I think they're called dinkuses in the printing oh. tray. That might, be, no, it might not be right. But yeah, you'll see them as um, sometimes a couple of dots and sometimes people get a bit more inventive. And so we decided to go a bit more inventive and um, keep that black feather motif going throughout. It's the equivalent of the teaser before the ad break, you know, you know, in a murder yeah. in, in a murder yeah. like in a, in a Vera, that would be like, oh, there's the ad break. Oh <laughs> Absolutely, that's right. Yeah, you can go get your cup of tea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Perfect. But yes, no, now I'm the first person to raise that. So I'm really delighted that you saw it because I sort of came up with the idea of so we shouldn't we and I went, let's just go for it. I think so, it makes awesome. I think it makes it more intriguing. I think it it adds oh, brilliant. Yeah, it adds Thanks to the intrigue. Because when I when I read, I immerse myself in a book. I'm not necessarily the world's quickest reader of that, but I do immerse myself in the book. And there are little kind of bits that you pick up there. You go, oh, okay. I wonder why she's done that. And I, mm. fortunately, I get the opportunity to ask you to do that. <laughs> one of the one of the pre- one of the premises of this book is is truth and and uh, the public and personal variations on on truth and how how truth is such a you know, it's it's a wonderful uh, carriage that not everyone jumps on board and, and uh, the same way, uh, and that that's sort of the the premise of, of a lot of this book, isn't it? Absolutely, I think it's. Uh, I'm just fascinated with it as an idea, and I think what is the truth is kind of the contested issue of our time, and it seems to be only splintering more and more. So I'm always I love books where something that has felt like a long established truth suddenly it is turned over and we see it in a different light and it happens all the time in real life. So I loved exploring it in this book and I do it in several different ways where they were talking about some quite historical events as opposed to events right there because mirrored with it is the other idea that I was really interested in, which is sometimes the truth can be right in front of us and we deliberately turn to look the other way and why is that? And so there's that kind of those competing ideas, which I find fascinating. It's it's uh, such a mark of our human nature. I yeah. think we do it all the time, and so um, pretend the truth to be something that it's not. And it's that, that idea of you know the official record might say something, yeah. but everybody in the town says something different. And in fact, that was something that used to come up in my law class quite regularly because we'd be studying Australian cases. And invariably, there'd be someone in the class who lived in that town or knew that person or whatever and would kind of put up their hand and say, you know what's in this case? That's not quite how it happened in the town or whatever it was. And mm. there were some um, important cases where it's quite interesting to hear 
what their take on it was. Now, their take, of course, everyone has their own biases, so it's not necessarily that they've got an objective truth, but you have these competing truths. And so you see it all the time, and it's always fascinating to kind of really try and nut it out. I think. Isn't that an interesting expression, competing truths? Mm, <laughs> that's there, right. Because yeah. isn't there only one? <laughs> well, and isn't that, I mean, I was listening to the author, Kazuo Ishiguro, who's the um, Nobel Prize for Literature, yeah. and he was saying that, that he wonders about literature saying that there are competing truths, um, whereas like if you were in the science world, it'd be there's one truth, that's how that element works, yep. you know, and sometimes occasionally we'd learn more about it or whatever. But yes, I think, I mean, in crime fiction, there's always competing truths. But yeah. I think in society, sometimes I wish there was less competing truths. Just we had one narrative we could all agree on um, and not have the divisions that we're currently seeing about things that I think do have one truth. It's, inter- sure. it's interesting that we're talking about truth in a, in a work of fiction, but it might be that we can learn a lot of stuff uh, from uh, from doing it in that in that genre. It might, open, well, it, it might so. open our mind a little more. Yeah, I think there's this sort of saying uh, that fiction is the lies by which we learn the truth. And what it allows, mm. what fiction sort of allows to do is life is complicated and weird and not settled. And, and so when you have fiction where you shape a narrative and you give it shape, that kind of can shut down some of the kind of irrelevant noise to then focus on a bigger truth about what human nature is like or give an answer about a, a particular thing, I think. So, yes, I think we turn to fiction sometimes for truths and for comfort. And I think one of the great things about crime fiction is people, and I know this definitely as a bookseller, that crime fiction sold really well in the pandemic, was because oh, okay. people wanted to pick up a book that they knew they'd have the answers by the end because that doesn't happen oh, in life. Yeah. And it's so comforting that you are presented with a knot and you'll know it'll be a piece of string by the end of it. Yeah. And so uh, that, I think that's one of the great comforts of uh, crime fiction. A uh, classic case of I know who done it. Um. Absolutely. <laughs> that's right. And, and the comfort, or even better for crime fiction in particular, I might be able to guess who done it before they solve the murder yeah. as well, which is a lovely way to engage with the book. Absolutely. What are you working on now? Have you started on the next? I know you just launched this one uh, and uh, it's premature, but the writers, usually their mind's ticking over to the next one. Absolutely, yeah. I'm on book four. So at the moment I'm uh, probably halfway through the unwieldy, crazy first draft stage <laughs> and I don't quite know how it's going to end, but I'm thoroughly enjoying writing it. And as usual, it's a lovely um, escape from the crazy world around us. So, um, yeah. That's what I'm busy on book four, so it's lovely. Well, congratulations yep. on book three, When We Fall. Uh, well done, a terrific read, and uh, and all the best of luck for the future to you, Aoife. It's lovely to speak with you. Oh, thank you so much, Kevin. It's been lovely talking to you today. Well, thanks to Aoife for a time and a fascinating chat there and some really interesting subjects that we uh, that we covered, and I'm sure you will enjoy the book. Uh, there's a, a lot of layers to it, as we mentioned, uh, but I'm sure you'll uh, you'll weave your way through that uh, and uh, find it a most enjoyable read. So thanks to Aoife and the book, When We Fall, is available now uh, in all the, uh, you know, the good, the not-so-good and the uh, the incredibly bad bookstores as well, I'm sure, have copies of it and uh, working on her fourth novel as we speak. Hope you enjoyed this edition of the Authorised Podcast. Don't forget... 
Uh, wherever you found this, you'll find earlier episodes uh, uh, in the series, uh, some terrific authors we've spoken to uh, over the uh, the years that the podcast has been going, and we'll continue to do that in the future. Some beauties on the way for you in uh, the next few episodes. Hope you enjoyed this one. Uh, read a book, enjoy, sit in the sunshine or, you know, cuddle up on a, on a couch with a blanket over you or in bed at night and uh, and read a book. It's a very, uh, very much a relaxing and uh, invigorating and exciting experience all in one. Do it soon, and I'll talk to you again soon on the Authorised Podcast. With thanks, of course, to our very good friends at CSCG. Give them a call, talk to them about your finances. They'll help you out. Uh, their telephone number, 9974 or jump on the website, cscg.com.au. 